Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This week on Performance Anxiety, basis to the stars, Abby Travis becomes a sumo princess. We dance with Spinal Tap and dogs are rescued. Follow Sumo Princess on Instagram at sumo underscore princess underscore band. Listen to Abby's podcast, Sounds Off with Abby Travis, and follow them on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us at Performance ANX on both Twitter and Instagram, and buy things at performanceanx.threadless.com. Enjoy Abby Travis. Hello, this is Abby Travis. Um, so wait, let me try that again. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is Abby Travis from Sumo Princess and Sounds Off with Abby Travis. And I'm thrilled today to be a guest on Performance Anxiety. So we had a, we had a whole bunch of snow here, so it's just... Where are you? Where are you located? I'm in Virginia. I live a little bit outside of D.C., Oh, where? My mom used to live in Alexandria. Oh, I, I live in Winchester, so I'm about 90 minutes almost due west. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you just go over the mountains, and um, that's where we're at. So you hit, hit Route 7, and she'll, she'll know this. You hit Route 7 west and go straight out towards West Virginia, and before you hit West Virginia, well, you'll hit Winchester. Well, I probably drove... Oh, that's where Patsy Klein's? Yes. The Rainbow Bar and Grill. Yes. I've totally been there. Oh, cool. That's that awesome. is a really amazing fucking shit kicker bar, man. <laughs> That's a badass spot. Yeah. Uh, I love this town. This town is amazing. It's so nice. Because my mom had a place in Charlestown, West Virginia. Yeah, and there's two. There's Charlestown and there's Charleston. Only West Virginia can do that, by the way. Yeah, but she was in Charlestown because she used to work in D.C. So that yeah. was kind of like where, yeah, like they would go on the weekends or then they kind of retired out there and stuff. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not that far. You're probably pretty familiar with the area then. Vaguely familiar, um, yes. Uh, but I really enjoyed the, the. I think I went to the Rainbow Bar and Grill, which is totally not the same as the one in L.A. <laughs> no, this like one here, you know. But it was it, it was pretty good. I don't, I don't even know if the if the Rainbow's still around here. I'm not trying to think of where it, where it would be because so many so many places have just changed over the past couple of decades, but. They they love their Patsy Cline out here. That's for sure. Well, who doesn't? If you don't love Patsy Cline, you you know you're missing out. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's funny because I I grew up in uh, between uh, Virginia and New Jersey a lot, and so uh, my dad was a huge Patsy Cline fan. And I'm not not even originally from the Winchester area, and so I grew up listening to Patsy Cline, and then um, lived in Alabama for a number of years. Where met met my wife and got married, had our kids, and then ended up moving. Right back up to here for work. So there you have it. Yeah. So and and just Patsy Klein is all over the place. Right? There's museums. Her house is a historic area. Or there's there's uh they they got to keep an eye on her on her tomb. 
here. It, oh, wow. It, yeah, people come and visit all the time. It's just, it's it's pretty wild. Well, she did have one of the great American voices. Uh, for sure, for sure. You know. Uh, so thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate it. The one thing that I wanted to talk to you about the most, because this is one of my favorite things of all time, is you ended up touring with Spinal Tap. Well, I didn't exactly tour with them, but I did get to perform with them on two occasions. Oh, you got to tell me about that, because Spinal Tap is is one of the movies that just, I, if it's on, I watch it. I've bought it in every format available. Um, I, I watch it all the time, and it's, it's it's one of my favorite movies, if not my favorite movie of all time. Well, how that happened was when I was in college, so I think I must have been about 18 or maybe 19, my friend contacted me, and she had noticed that there was an ad in a magazine that said, you know, with the Spinal Tap logo, and it said, wanted new, you know, we need a new drummer our previous drummers have died <laughs> and, that, and that they were having auditions at the um, Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. And she was like, I don't know if you're interested in this. Oh, well, no, I wasn't in college. I was in music school. I remember. Yeah. So I think I was uh, maybe a year or two. I might've been 20 or 21 or something. Um, and I was like, uh, fuck yeah, I want to do that. And so my boyfriend at the time, uh, was a drummer because I, you know, I play. I'm not much of a drummer. Okay. Um, hold on, make God. Why are people calling me right now? Go away. Because um, <laughs> they know so, we're doing this. Um. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I remember because we went to the same music school together, and we were <laughs> were in this like he. I practiced because the audition song was. I don't remember if it was Tonight I Want to Rock You Tonight. It was one with like a big drum solo in it. I okay. don't recall which song it was, but we practiced and he like totally tutored me. And I remember this was like a jazz school that I went to and all the people were like, so like, what the fuck are you guys doing? And he was like, go away, go away. So he gave me like, you know, he kind of like, I mean, I had, I had played drums before, but I don't think anyone would like, you know, hire me to be a drummer, you know, um, okay. unless they like the sound of a homeless person being thrown down several flights of stairs, ah. you know, with a lot of loose change in their pocket. That's my style. Um, so I learned how, you know, I, I drilled the song, you know, I would shut the song. And then I had this other friend that worked at one of the big costume houses here in LA, like a costume rental place. Okay. So I read, I put together this fairy costume and and I had this whole shtick, so I went down to the Coliseum, and they just made everyone stand in line because it was you know it was a publicity stunt, and okay. um and so they were only going to let the first fifty people in, you know, right. and I I was like not one of the first fifty people in, but I kept sort of like every time they went by or like I would talk, you know, I had this whole shtick where. My name was Promethea Pendragon, and I was from a little town outside of Stonehenge. And, you know, I'd been in these bands like the Celestial Seasonings. And I had like this whole stick that, that like I just kind of created because I was such a big fan of the movie. And so then like I'm waiting in line and I hear like over the one of the walkie talkies like, you know, bring in Tinkerbell. So they they knew that I was going to be like, you know, good good cop you know like it's and i totally 
made it like all over the news and like MTV and stuff. Like I know that, oh, wow. you know, one of my dad's friends called him like at six in the morning, you know, and he was like, Larry, your daughter's on CNN in a fairy costume. <laughs> 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 fucking hilarious like so they called me up you know so what happened actually during the actual p- song where i got to play you know that was like the first time i played at the coliseum yeah um i i was they had a double kick drum pedal, which I was not prepared for. You oh. know what I mean? So I came in my best spot, but I don't think that I was quite what they were looking for on drums. But they, the manage, management call, had called me, and they were like, you know, they, the guys would like you to be in the show, but not as the drummer, but like as a fairy. And I'm like, awesome. So I go – so they played it what is – what was then called the Universal Amphitheater, but now I've, I don't actually now I don't even think it's there anymore. I think it's the Harry Potter World. Oh, geez. Now, you know, like it was the Universal Amphitheater, and then it was the Gibson Amphitheater, and now it's Hogwarts. Now, you know? <laughs> 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 That's which pretty much like there you have it. So, so, so I go down. This whole story is actually pretty funny. So I go down to sound check, and I have no idea like what. They, what's going to happen or anything and I have my fairy outfit with me and I'm like sitting in the green room god let me try and remember all this because it was so the whole thing was totally like life <laughs> imitates art oh, where I'm sitting in the green room and it's like Jennifer Batten remember that woman that had the crazy hairdo that played guitar in Michael Jackson's band oh yeah 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 so she was there like they had like guest people that were playing and then the drummer Part was Gina and Debbie Peterson from the Gina from the Go Go's and Debbie Peterson from the Bangles. Oh wow, that's fortuitous. Yeah, I know, and also weird, like you know, like sort of harbinger, you know, like some sort of prophetic weird thing there. Yeah. Well, um, and then, you know, there was a couple of little people and me and it just and I don't remember who else. And oh yeah, so we're sitting in the. No, first I go up. I don't remember what order this happened, but at one point I go up there and they're like sound checking. And, you know, the guys are not all of them are completely in character all the time, although I believe um, Nigel was always Nigel. He was just full method Nigel. You know what I mean? (laughs) But (laughs) and and so, you know, like Michael McKean's all like, Prometheo, what would you like to do? And I was like, um. Stonehenge, you know, like I didn't know, you know, so I was like, yeah, I'll do that, you know, in my fairy costume. Yeah, and, why and not? So, yeah, so then, the, the, but then later, you know, I'm, I, I guess, I don't know which happened first, one or the other, but I'm sitting in the green room with all those people. Someone comes in and the drummer, this is real life, had fallen off of the drum riser oh and broken his ankle. Are like, you... and people... It fucking totally happened. And so oh people are totally God. like, are you, of course, like half the people are freaking out. The other half of the people are laughing their oh, yeah. asses off, you know? So they wound up getting, I think like Chad Wackerman, you know, like one of those guys that like had played with Zappa, like one of those super dude, you know, session, yeah. like I can, you know, those guys Oh yeah. that like just basically played their whole set with no rehearsal whatsoever. <laughs> you know? And can it do it well? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I was, uh, but so then during the show, 
Um, I got to go out there. They had the giant Stonehenge that came down from the ceiling. And there was the two little people that were dressed in, I believe, like (laughs) druid outfits. (laughs) And I went out and did this, like, my best sort of, like, Airtay-inspired, like, ballet for (laughs) the audience, which was, like, really super-duper fun, and I got a huge kick out of it. So then they're like, you should, like, come with us. Like, why don't you go to Phoenix with us. And I was like, oh man, I can't, I have like finals at music school or whatever, you know? Oh gosh. So then I go back, yeah, which was, you know, stupid thing to fucking say. So I go home and at that point, at that point in time, my brother actually lived next door to me and he was working on some, I don't know. He was like editing something with Dave Markey. And I told, they were like, Dave Markey had been to the show. I think both of them might've been to the show. And I told them what, you know, that I had been invited to go to the, to like Phoenix and they're like, what the fuck is your problem? Go back there <laughs> and tell them that you'll go. And I'm like, you're right. I'm being a complete loser. So I drove all the way back to the universe amphitheater and somehow got like, I don't even know how the hell I got to the loading docks. Oh God. <laughs> and, but then there was like some giant, like some, not giant, some like mean roadie who's totally just doing his job and probably thought I was some weird groupie or something (laughs) and he wouldn't let me back there and so but i'm and i'm like but i'm the fairy i'm promethea (laughs) you know and he was like whatever lady you know (laughs) so so then but this is what's so fucking weird so then like i somehow i knew that my friend this friend of mine who lives in seattle her friend had shacked up with the drummer that had broken his ankle. Oh like, my. I knew this somehow. So wow. I call and somehow found out. This is so Pamela DeBar, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so I called and somehow found out, like, what plane they were going to be on. Oh, my gosh. I know. I wish I had, the like, the stones to do stuff like this with my own real career. But I just, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, me too. Like, this is the only time I've ever been this insane but it was like all for spinal tap which i maybe is somehow symbolic i don't know you know so i found out what plane they were on and then just got like at that point you know like you get a plane ticket to phoenix for like 60 bucks or something you know like from la so i just got went and got on the plane and like they're all in first class and i walk on i'm like hey guys and they're like looking at me like that's where like oh hi you know so then we all you know, so then I and so then we get off the plane, and then I went. I I was gonna stay with the meat, like the, my friends in the meat puppets live in Arizona. Those guys are my old friends. So oh, okay. I knew I had a free place to stay or whatever. But um, so we go to. They're all staying at like the Ritz Carlton in like Scottsdale or whatever, oh, and, and we have this lunch that's in. Like this huge dining room. It was everything was so cinematic. Like, but no one else is in the dining room. It's just a long, you know, a fairly long table with, you know, Michael McKee and Christopher Guest and um, uh, God, Harry Sheer. And Harry Sheer. Hi, sorry. And <laughs> Harry Sheer, who, by the way, totally had that hair all the time. Like, really? He had that hair. Yeah. Oh. And um, and then like I think like a few other people. And just, it was, you know, I was pretty young and those guys were all smart and a lot older than I am and really, really funny. So I was very blown away just to get to sort of listen to them talk and how funny they were. And I remember Christopher Guest like talking about like Jackie Gleason for a really long time. And just, I was just mostly just kept my mouth shut 
and was just kind of soaking it in because I mean, you know, it was a, it was really cool. Well, yeah, Spinal and, Tap. Yeah, and but at that point, I think no one was in character at the lunch. You know, they were just kind of. And I shouldn't say this. I'm probably fucking like, you know, doing something wrong or I don't know. So then we get to. I don't know if they're listening. To we get to the the venue, which is I believe the Mesa Amphitheater in Phoenix. Okay. And I, of course, immediately like twist the fuck out of my ankle on like some tire rut getting out of the bus. <laughs> 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 so it's like, totally. I'm like, you guys are cursed, you know, no whatever. Kidding. And then we, it's time for the show. And because I think the little people were union, like they didn't have them for every show on the tour. You know, I think they probably just had those guys for like L.A. and New York and like the big shows. And and furthermore, the way the Mesa Amphitheater was, they didn't have it's an open it's outdoor, you know, so they okay. didn't have the kind of rigging to be able to bring down the giant stone. So they did it like in the movie where there was the sort of inadequate little, little stone. <laughs> so I go out there to do. Oh, and also at this point, at some point, maybe at the lunch. They're like, who are you? Like, what do you do? Like, what's what, what? And so I explain that I'm a bass player, and they're like, well, you'll have to join us on Big Bottom. And I'm like, I would like oh. to do that. And yeah. so, of course, they put me on, like, the Ernie Ball Earthwood bass. You know, those ba oh, they look like God. acoustic guitars that are just bigger because they thought it went well with my look. <laughs> oh, God. You know, yeah, as a fairy with the acoustic guitar, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, no, I, I understand. And so, so first I go out and I do my ballet, and it, I don't know why, but this and this is like my, like something I, 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 I don't know. I won't. I'll just tell what happened. So I don't know why I decided to improvise at the end of my at the end of my ballet, which was all improvised. Anyways, I decided to do this completely over the top, bad acting, sort of like Gilligan's Island doing Shakespeare death. Oh. And so the guy, the guys in the band come over to me and they're trying to bring me back to life with the power of electric guitar. So like oh David St. Humbug's and like I would lift up like a hip and a leg, uh, but then I would fall back down and die. And then and none of this was planned and, at all. And then, oh, wow. you know, then then um, Nigel would go do and I'd lift up something else and I would die. And then without missing a beat, Nigel Tufnell goes up to the mic and goes, well, ladies and gentlemen, the fairy has died, but maybe if we all clap our hands together, she'll come back to life. Oh, it's just like in, you know, man. Peter Pan. And so, uh, of course, they all clapped their hands, and then I got back. I got it back to life, and then like everyone was all excited because that was before intermission. And like, I have to say, that was like such a. That's something I still look back on with so much pride. Like I totally improvised with those fucking guys that's, you know what i mean that's amazing and, and so i'm yeah so i'm like really proud of that and then like the capper was getting to play big bottom with um it was like adrian blue adrian blue's bass player and oh. everyone in spinal tap so you that know, was my spinal tap tale and for, it was really fun and i'm so glad that i did that you know for for most people that would be enough. I mean, forget having a career in music. I mean, for me, I, <laughs> I love comedy. I've, I've taken some improv classes and I, I love comedy. I love, I, I love doing improv and, and all, and I don't get a chance to do it almost ever to do that with those guys just one time. And then 
play bass on Big Bottom with Adrian Ballou and, and his and some of his crew. Oh my, that's just that's an, that would be enough for most people. And you just kind of took that and. <laughs> That was the beginning of your career. That was just, that's where you started. Kind of. I mean, I started like more in like the LA sort of, I don't know. It wasn't punk at that point. It was like something that came after punk. But what I just, I've, I have thought before about just the sort of like fearlessness that I had in that whole thing. Cause I was just so into it and I just was such a fan and coming from a place of this is awesome. And I've often thought like, God, I wish I had more of that with my same, you know, my own work or something, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it was, I think because it was such a fucking like weird fantasy land of like, you know, just this like what's real fictional bizarreness. And I don't know, but, but it's, it's, it's definitely, um, a story I've not told at the, in that detail, I think, to you know, very many people. And it was it was hilarious. And I'm glad I got to be a part of it. Well, I'm glad you shared it with me cause, and, and the listeners here, because that that is amazing. That is probably one of the funniest stories I've ever heard. It, it's so great. <laughs> it was pretty classic. It was amazing. How did you start with music? Uh, so you said you were in music school when all this happened. What brought you to music school? Well, I had been in – so the first band I was ever in was called The Love Dolls, and that was an all-girl band that sort of, interestingly enough, came from these small cult films that this guy called Dave Markey had made. Excuse me. And he – and then, then the band became more real, and um, that was my first band. And then after that band, I was in a three-piece, kind of like big star-sounding power pop group called the rails ah, and yes. i had found i what was happening with me a lot is that i was i would get really frustrated because i'd have all these ideas in my head and it would take me too long to get the ideas into my fingers okay and i would become really frustrated by that like it, it was i um because i couldn't play as quickly as i could think and stuff so I, and I had thought, you know, I'd been, people were quite encouraging of my, you know, playing and stuff, and I had really enjoyed it. And so I just sort of made the decision, you know, I had gone to, you know, I was an anthropology major in college for a couple of years. Oh, wow. And then just totally bailed on that. I just, and then the, and the, and the, and the actually the jazz, the music program at the school I went to wasn't for me. So then I was just kind of like working in a coffee house for a while. And, um, I don't know. I don't remember how I decided to go to this music school, um, but I remember being a little intimidated at the time because, like, because I definitely have these real defined tastes, and I'm not a big fan of the kind of like super slick Steely Dan, Toto, fucking David Sanborn type stuff. Like, <laughs> right. in fact, I'm anti that um, <laughs> morally. So I was concerned. About, you know, I didn't want to go to like a rock school because I'm like, I don't think I need to go to school for that, you know, but, um, right. but, uh, uh, so uh, that my concern about going to a jazz school was like that kind of thing. But one of my friends had, my friend Deborah Holland, who had been like kind of a buddy of mine from, I mean, she was my piano teacher when I was a kid. She, oh, she wow. was like, you know what, you're, you, you have really strong opinions, your personalities pretty well formed i wouldn't worry about that you know i think you're just gonna get better at being yourself and i was like okay cool so then i went to that's that's why i went to music school 
And then shortly thereafter, I started, you know, trying to make a living as an instrumentalist just because it was like, uh, you know, this is what I want to do and I would like to get paid for it if I could, you know? Yeah, that's nice if you can do it, yeah. Yeah. So you went from uh, music school to Spinal Tap. Did you uh, did you get back in time to uh, finish your final exams for music school? I did, and it was so funny because I remember the head of the bass department was furious with me for <laughs> like flaking, and he was like, you know, and, and and he was like, I wish I could go do something like that, but no, I'm stuck playing on the Tonight Show every night, and blah 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 blah. So he was like really mad at me, and then the uh, one of the other bass instructors, this guy named Tom Warrington, who was like this monster, he used to play with like Buddy Rich, I think he was oh, just wow. totally like the kind of guy that could hear. Every chord that flew by him and tell you what it was and what inversion it was in, it was oh just like, yeah, he's like perfect pitch guy. Jeez. He was like, I think that's awesome. That's the way you're going to make it in this industry. <laughs> and so, like, I got sort of mixed, you know, mixed. And then, of course, immediately after I gradu- graduated from the Dick Grove School of Music, it went bankrupt. So. Oh, God. <laughs> Jeez. So, so you're timing, yeah, basically. Was that one teacher I had because he, like, the guy that was the head of the bass department, whose book I still use for some of my bass students, Joel DeBartolo, this poor guy, like, he, that, in the same year, his music school teaching job dried up because the school went bankrupt, and then um, Johnny Carson quit The Tonight Show, or he retired from right. The Tonight Show. So he, like, lost both of his jobs, oh, like, in the God. same year. <laughs> so his... His timing is awful, and it looks so to me so far like your timing is spot on, just at life in general. I, I have no idea about that. That's like something <laughs> that only an outsider can have perspective on. Well, from my perspective, I mean, graduating right before the school goes bankrupt, so you didn't waste <laughs> your money there, fortunately. Being at the right place at the right time for Spinal Tap, you're doing something right back then, that's for sure. I guess back then, yeah. <laughs> what happened? So, then, so you've. What did you do after that? What was you? What was uh, life like for you after the school closed? What were you? What were you doing musically at that point? Oh, and, and you know, before you answer that, I something I've always wanted to ask people who've gone to music school. What is so you you studied bass? What is the final exam for bass? Like, what, are you just playing? Oh, it or? really depends on the classes. I mean, it was a whole, I didn't just take bass lessons there. I mean, there was like harmony and composing and arranging. And I don't remember, to be honest, so, any of what the finals were for any of that. But is, you it, know, you, is so it you playing? Is it you playing or is it you taking like a written test or is it a little bit of both? You, no, I don't remember, honestly, but I'm sure. I mean, we had ensemble stuff where we had to play with like different sections okay. and then a lot of like harmony, but like at that, I actually, that was the most playing unless I'm like woodshedding for something that I've ever really done. Cause I was playing like about eight or nine hours a day oh, wow. at that time, you know, but I, I really can't, I mean, it, it, it's not like you just have one class, you know, there was right. like, there'd be one class where we would, you'd have to transcribe something every week and bring it in, you know, okay. and then there'd be a, like a Latin jazz class and then there'd be an ensemble class and then there'd be like, music theory class and then you would take the next one and then there would be like arranging for quartet you know small sex you know that so, sort of thing so it's kind of like a lot of artistic degrees artistic uh, majors you would you would find where it's kind of a mix of of having something to show or taking a test depending on what class you're in then. 
That makes sense to me. I, yeah, I mean, I like the harmony it. class would have been written down, you know, yeah. so like the music theory stuff, you would be writing down whatever. I don't remember. I mean, again, this was like in the early 90s, so yeah. I, I just totally don't remember at all. Okay. I do. The only other thing I remember about that place is they had this old Yamaha um it was like a, I think it was, it might have been like even a, a 215 or an 8 by 10 combo. It was like a tall combo, but it had a distortion knob on it oh. that I thought was really nice to use during the bass solos during like ensembles. <laughs> and then after my second sort of quarter there, all of a sudden that amp disappeared. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, your friend was right. You definitely already had your fully formed personality and opinions by that point so <laughs> i guess so all right so you you went on from there you, you've worked with bangles the go-go's the eagles of death metal masters of reality kmfd yeah that was way later that was like you know in the 2000s so i did all that sort of so what were you doing between school and playing with with these bigger name bands um i okay so uh i was in the rails for a couple more years okay and then the first job I ever, like, tour I ever got was playing bass for Vanessa Parody in France. Okay, that's she was, Johnny she's Depp's like, ex-wife? Yeah, so okay. she was, she's kind of like an actress, but also sort of a singer. Okay. Um, and she had made this record with Lenny Kravitz. So they oh, wanted, and yeah. they wanted kind of like an all-American band, you know? So that yeah. was like my first kind of like going to Europe and doing that, um... So I did that for a while until I got fired from that job. <laughs> and then I. Is there a story I there? Some stuff like I know. I, not really. I think what happened was I had said something like, fuck that. But it was construed as fuck you to her. Uh, you know what I mean? Because yeah. there's a little bit of an English thing, English to French thing, as well as a cultural like how women are meant to behave sort of dynamic back uh, then. And I was a little too, maybe too punk rock for the room, but <laughs> I, I, I did. Um, but you know, whatever I got to go to the Seychelles and I uh, you know I went to, I didn't go to the Seychelles. I went to La Reunion and Illy Maurice, which were in like the Indian ocean. And, oh, um, wow. and you know, some of those baselines were quite fun to play as I recall too. Lenny Kravitz, although he's, you know, you know where he's sort of, you know, inspired, what mm -hmm. he's inspired by. And I use that term liberally. It's, it's stuff that I like, you know. So, yeah. Um, uh, so I did that. And then I, I play. I, ha I, I know I played with Michael Penn for a little bit. Oh, okay. And I, then I had my first solo band called Mommy, which was me and two guys. But that I think we made, may have made a cassette. Oh, boy. And then I... For, and then I started playing with Beck and right around, right after his first, you know, right after Loser came out. Oh, okay. So we played on Lollapalooza. some festivals and then while i was on doing lollapalooza with him that was now we're like about 1995 mm -hmm. um yeah elastica first sinead o'connor was on that bill but then she left and then they got elastica and then elastica's bass player left 
And so then I got the call, and then so I was playing bass with actually both bands oh, um, wow. at the end of that, which was really fun. And I actually enjoyed working with Elastica quite a bit, so I, I kept working with them for a while, like into 1990, you know, into the next year and stuff. Okay. Um, but then and I could have joined that band, and I, you know, so that's one of those things that sometimes I, I think back at it, it might have been fun at that age, like at that point, I was like 26 years old. Maybe it would have been amazing to have moved to England for a while, like lived in London and been a pop star and stuff. Right. Yeah. But I was a little concerned with the amount of drug use that was kind of happening and uh-huh. was thinking like maybe I'll turn into a big junkie if I go move to England. <laughs> and, yeah. and I also, I think, w- had really wanted to do my own music. And I thought like here I've just – played bass with like two huge bands that were like you know are on the at that point really popular. very big very big bands and i thought if there's ever a time for me to try and do this hi sweetie i'm doing an interview uh, um i thought <laughs> if if i um if there's ever a time for me to try and do this now is that time and i would hate to be an old person and at that point i thought in my 40s <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, when you're in your 20s. And to look back and go, wow, I never tried this. So I made that decision to really try and do my own music. Um, So, and and sort of like all since then, I've always kind of had this sort of dual thing where, you know, I work for other people, but I've also put out like, um, I put out four solo records under my own name. and now I have my band Sumo Princess, but at the same time I've also played with all these other acts to, you know, not only make a living, but to, you know, go on nicer tours and play music hopefully that I like. And, you know, it's, it's, um, so it's, it's, I've always been kind of like a little half and half there. Okay. You know? Now you also end up playing with uh, KMFDM and, and, if I remember, if I'm reading this correctly, you also helped write some of the songs on, on their Symbols album. Yeah, I'm on that record. I'm like chicken the nurse outfit on that album. That's, okay, okay. Yeah. Now, I, I was looking at the uh, album work. I don't know a whole lot about KMFDM because when they were out, I was more into, you know, Soundgarden, um, Beck, uh, Spinal Tap, <laughs> stuff like that. So KMFDM uh-huh. wasn't really in my wheelhouse, but uh-huh. I was listening to the album today. And, you know, how hard was it for you to go from something like Beck and Elastica to playing in an industrial band like KMFDM, which until recently I always thought still actually stood for Kill Motherfucking Depeche Mode. I mean, I don't. I didn't really think it was hard. I mean, I didn't do the. I didn't tour with them. I decided not to tour with them. Okay. Um, but I enjoyed making that record, and I actually um, that was the first time I'd ever worked. You know, Sasha, the main guy from that band, is really uh, good sort of engineer and understands computers like he he would be the guy that like way back in the day at the nam show they'd have him show people how to run pro tools you know when it was oh, kind of like wow. software and stuff so it was really fascinating to me 
to record, you know, until then I had only recorded onto like, you know, two inch tape and stuff like that or four track or whatever. So I had, um, I really enjoyed kind of learning about how to record onto computers from just working on that record for as many, as long as I did. And um, and it was a lot of fun. Did they come to you after hearing you and, and saying, Hey, we want to write with you or was it a case of them, uh, just discovering that you had that talent while you were playing with them. No, um, how that happened was there was this band called Pig Face that um, Martin oh, Atkins. I remember he, them. Yeah. Okay. So Pig Face was kind of like an industrial sort of like super group sort of yes. touring ensemble. And at one point, they were looking for a bassist, and my friend. Um, Chris Bruce, who's this like phenomenal musician whom I adore, recommended me for that. And so I talked to Martin and he, you know, I didn't know him and he sent me like, you know, some of their videos and their music and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'd like to do it. And then he decided to go with someone that they knew who was out of Chicago where most of those people, you know, were residing at that point. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but he was like, you know, when we come to L.A., why don't you jam with us at the Roxy? And I was like, sure. So when they came to L.A., I, I played with like I just jammed with them on the encore at the at the show. And and um, and so that's kind of how I met a lot of those, you know, some of those industrial guys like, like William Tucker and Chris Connolly and um, Martin Atkins okay. and 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 who's the tall. It's funny because I am um, when I first saw the the sort of the pictures and everything of pig face. And uh, there's this giant man who's like, you know, very Teutonic who's bald and wears a black leather French coat and, you know, 24 whole doc Martins. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to get along with that guy. He looks <laughs> a very, you know, little, little, uh, little sketch. But then when I met him, he also had, in addition to what I just described, like, four foot long pearls and a bunch of eye makeup on. And I was like, okay, now I love this guy. You know, <laughs> I, he's not like a scary skinhead guy. He's awesome. So I became friends with, with him and he was the person, I guess KMFDM always would have like a, you know, they'd have a different female singer until they got a solid lineup with Lucia who came, I think like maybe one or two records after I did and so she's been the singer ever since then. But until that time, they had a bunch of different female voices. So um, I, you know, Anesh got me involved to, so because I could play bass and sing and write, and that's how that happened. Okay. And so yeah. how, did, how did you go from KMFDM to the Bangles? That's a big shift in sound. Well, the Bangles was like, that KMFDM was in 1998, and the Bangles were in like 2005 or something. You know, okay. Like, yeah. So it was. I mean, the Bangles was just one of those things where they needed a bass player. I knew. I had met the Peterson sing- sisters uh, because they were friends with the Red Cross guys. Right. Um, okay. And and, and 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 so Red Cross was very much a part of like my early musical kind of upbringing in Los Angeles because the they had actually played the songs on the love dolls soundtrack. So some of the first bass lines I ever learned were actually played by Steve McDonald, the bassist of, of red cross. Like oh, cool. I kind of learned to play bass by 
playing his bass lines. Right. So I, I, that's kind of part of a scene that I was involved with, like more, you know, in my teens and stuff. But I've, I've known those guys forever. And then also Vicky was in this band called the Continental Drifters, which was sort of this like uh, kind of New Orleansy. It was kind of modeled after the band, so they it was very loose in a in a good way. Right. Um, it was like her and Peter Holzapple and this really great drummer called Carlo Nuccio that lives in New Orleans or whatever. So I just knew her sort of over the years, and so when they were looking for uh, a new bassist. I auditioned and got the job. That's that's kind of how that happened. Okay, so so you played with uh, the Bangles and the Go Go's throughout the years, and in between all that, you've been doing your own solo work. And your first album was what, it came out in '97, right? The Abby Travis Foundation. Okay, I don't. You're better at years than me. <laughs> I mean, I've been doing pretty well with years. You've today, been doing though. great. You've been doing great with them. In fact, because I've got my notes up and you're, you're, you're hitting them spot on from what I've got. So unless my sources, which are usually Wikipedia Most and your website. So who played on the Abby Travis Foundation? Because uh, it's got some great songs. Like I, I love Crazy in Love and the intro to Dust. I, I, it's fantastic. <laughs> Man, I have no idea. I'd have to go look at the liner notes. To, I mean, I think that, like, I really, I know that, Jesus, I have no idea who played on that album. I, 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 I mean, that I, I, I honestly, I think Vic and Drizzo played on a song. See, I get, and I think Jerry Finelli, for sure, I'm sure played some keyboards on it. Um, uh, I think Brian Kaye, who had been in Mommy, played some guitar on it maybe okay. um i think that i really don't remember i'm so sorry no, i'm guessing God, no problem don't don't worry about any of that oh the uh, intro to dust though i really like i remember being kind of proud of that it was it was my sort of like portal um you know that's that yeah, 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 yeah. It's fantastic. I, I, I love it. Forgot about that song. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, you, and you put out so you put out uh, four solo albums. Your second was Cutthroat Standards and Black Pop, uh, Glitter Mouth came out in two thousand six, and your fourth album, uh, which is just which is called Four. Uh, uh-huh. That one, I when I was looking up information on you, I found a promo video that you did to uh, for, for Kickstarter. That oh. was hilarious. Thank you. I love that. It was fantastic. And, and my questions, I guess, about the album are basically: Do you have any Spinal Tap picks left, and did you sell any of your bras? Um, someone actually put paid enough money, and I have an idea of who it is, but you know, who's a nice guy that works <laughs> in the record industry to get the bras, but he sent a thing saying. Don't want the bras. <laughs> just here's five hundred bucks or whatever that premium was, you know. Yeah. And then, um, yes, I still. I mean, the picks I got just weirdly. My friend Pleasant. I don't know. Somebody, one of my friends, and I think it was Pleasant, had this like big yard sale, 
And she just happened to have all these Spinal Tap guitar picks. Oh, so my gosh. She just gave them to me for historical reasons. But, yeah, I actually use them when I'm playing guitar because I have, like, kind of like a, you know, a half-pint Tupperware thing filled with picks. So, yeah. Oh, man. So when I come out – and the other thing is one of the things you offered was a ride to or from LAX. So I've got a couple – No one took me up on that. Are you, you kidding? believe it? Because I've got a couple friends in L.A. that want me to come out and visit. So I was thinking – I know the the, the – Promotion is over, but, you know, maybe if I pay you, maybe I can get you to come pick me up at LAX. Maybe, or you could just take an Uber. Well, that's true. <laughs> but it wouldn't be as cool as having Abby Travis drop me off at my buddy's house. So. Well, <laughs> so. that's possible. It depends on where your friend was. It's possible. That's, <laughs> so I, no, because that was, see, that you have to remember that that um, that sort of Kickstarter thing was a little bit before rideshare stuff became so prevalent, you yeah. know? So back then, getting a ride to or from the airport was something that was very valuable. Be, well, valuable enough to put on your Kickstarter campaign for sure. And My favorite shot in that video, I thought that my neighbor and, and I made that video just like he was like filming it on my iPad or something. Yeah. You know? And I love the shot where my husband, you know, because I was like, okay, if I'm selling bras, that could get pretty creepy and yeah. weird. So we decided to put... My husband's fist, you know, and he's got those like Popeye. Yes. But I just thought like it worked out so well because my feint, you know, to the side, it was yes. like so right in the frame. It was I thought I get a kick out of that. Yeah, it was enormous forearm comes through. Like, he, has, like, he has like a total Popeye, yeah, it's still <laughs> Well, the one thing that I love about that is that it showed your sense of humor. And in your music, your solo music, definitely, I can. Even though it's not like funny, except for songs like the hate song, which yeah, very, the hate song's totally funny, that, yeah, for sure. You're an unswattable fly. You make me puke. Pretend you're my friend, and you shoot up like a rocket made of wax. I know the best revenge is happiness and some success. But the, I can definitely see, feel your sense of humor in that. And I read somewhere that you've worked with, uh, all right, so you've worked with Spinal Tap, obviously, comedy, but you've also done some work with Tony Clifton. Yes. Yeah. That's, oh I know. Gosh. I figure like I've got the bookmarks of like weird, that's you know, um, crazy. I was Tony Clifton's musical director at, and at some point in the last decade. How did um, that happen? It was completely randomly. My my husband and I went to the, this bar that like, you know, this called the Monty that our, our friends, it's their bar. And this we were just sitting there at the bar shooting the shit and we meet this guy and he's like works for Tony Clifton and they're looking for, a, you know, I just literally got that job for meeting a guy at a bar. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And, and for anybody who doesn't know that he. Tony Clifton is from the days of Andy Kaufman. It's just go go YouTube it because it's just it's brilliant stuff. It's it's just amazing. And I also saw an episode of uh, Inside Ursula Hitler's Head with Sweetie and Mr. Meanie that you did. Oh, that's right. That now that was just Ursula Hitler 
is someone that I've I wanted to meet in person and I have reached out to her and I think she's very shy and just prefers to be sort of like an internet friend. I think most but, people with the last name Hitler are pretty shy. I, I think that may be not her, you know, born uh, last name. I think that may be. Okay. But she um, just I post I, I don't know. That was like one of those. And I've had a few wonderful experiences like this where I had posted something on YouTube and then. She had posted like, you know, Abby Travis is wonderful or, you know, she just was like, you know, liking my work. And then I was like, well, who's this random person that's actually interested in what I'm doing, of which there may be seven. So I go and looked up. So I went and looked her up and she made this whole, you know, animated. Did you see the video that she did for Lightning Squared? It's off of four. It's amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. And, and so that was just like this nice person that like I would still like to meet. So if you're out there, Ursula, um, our best wishes to you. So the interview you end up doing with Sweetie and Mr. Meanie was hilarious. And the outtakes were just as funny. It was it was great. Well, that was one where I do remember that. And she was, you know, astute enough to put together the outtakes because she sent me a bunch of questions you know, via email or something. And then I okay. just set up the iPad or the computer or whatever and pretended that someone was asking me the questions and then answered the questions. And, um, so she, and then I just sent her the whole thing. And so she was the one that like, you know, figured out that the outtakes were funny. I, I wasn't even really aware <laughs> of that. Yeah. Well, she did a great job because it cracked me up, especially with the camera falling. And then, uh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, now you started a, another band called Sumo Princess. And, yes. And that's with uh, Gene Troutman, who was in Eagles of Death Metal and Queens of Stone Age. How, tell me a little bit about yes. how you guys started that band. started that band originally i had another drummer named chris nicotta who was the guy that played in drums in the rails which was my second band mm -hmm. so he and i i you know the i start i'll tell you how I, I started the band i was sitting on my friends uh in my on my friend's toilet in san francisco <laughs> reading <laughs> rolling stone magazine we're all good bands get started Exactly in the in the in the loop and and so I'm reading Rolling Stone magazine and I see this article about royal blood and I'm like wow that sounds interesting and so I went and looked at what, what they and heard what they sounded like on YouTube and I was like fucking a why didn't I think of that that's mm -hmm. brilliant yeah and so I actually haven't listened to them since that one time because I don't want to be too influenced by them but although they were definitely the inspiration for the idea of doing a bass and drum you know band with just bass and drums okay. And um, so that was kind of the idea. And, and, and it was also part of the inspiration was like I had been doing so much work as an employee slash hired gun where, you know, when, when that's your job, it's, it's, it's a wonderful job and you get to make other people's music sound the best you can. Um, but it's also a job where you really need to know how to keep your mouth shut and nod. I mean, it's like yeah. any other job where you're you know an employee so i was and I, that coupled with my sort of 
just really get at the time when I started doing Sumo Princess, I got, got so annoyed with just all the music I was hearing on the radio really sounded the same to me in terms of like many of these people are all using the same plugins. This is all totally mm-hmm. quantized. Yeah. The um I can hear the auto tune, the way the compression settings are it's just I was like, this is so fucking boring and you know, and corporate and not interesting to me that i wanted to start a band that was like the opposite of all that so like when sumo princess records we don't i mean i think we may have used a click track on like one or two songs and the rest of it has no click oh wow there's no like we don't fuck around you know it's like it's totally going back to the you know back in the olden days or whatever meaning when i was you know in my 20s and it's very um, reactive music, and it's it's it, there's a, it's it's also loose, but kind of purposefully loose. You know, it's mm-hmm. not you know super tight, and I because it's because and, and 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 no show, no two shows are the same. There's we, we of course will play our songs, but there there's going to be like improvised parts, and 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 the solos are not the same every time, and it and there's. Sometimes if something goes wrong, it just turns into a whole song that get, happens on the spot. And, That's the and like, stuff I love. I love Yeah, that. and that, me too, because, you know, believe me, half the jobs I've had, you're playing the exact same fucking thing every single night. <laughs> yeah. Um, and some of them more so than others to a bunch of backing tracks, you know? Yeah. Um, but not all, you know, some bands are worse about that than, or better about that than others. So, um, so that was like my emphasis for that. So my, you know, after I decided to like, you know, go with a different drummer than, than my first drummer, I just asked Gene, who's like, a, you know, a good buddy of mine. Who, you know, I've been friends with Gene since the eighties. So, oh, wow. and he's a great drummer and he's my friend. So, um, what's not to like, right? Yeah, exactly. And the, the music is fantastic. I heard, uh, I heard a live version of, uh, you do, you guys doing the star spangled banner. Yeah, that was so great. When you started off playing it, it, it reminded me a lot of the Chris Squire version from the Yes Years box set that he did, and then it goes totally crazy. Um, I was I have to admit I have never I did not even know that Chris Squire did a version of that. Oh really? Um, I was totally coming from Jimi Hendrix on the Mike Douglas show. You know, or I think it was the Mike Douglas show that he did it on. It, it, um, hold on, uh, one yeah, second. I gotta feed my dog, so just you like, got it's it. gonna sound weird for one second, but they're getting really bouncy. And, yeah, hi, I'm back. Sorry, oh, they right, were, cool. the dogs are just like uh, they, you know, they, they usually get fed around six. Oh no here, problem, so no problem. Getting, what kind of dogs are they? Um, one is like a lab pit something or other. That's, <laughs> and then another one is like we think he's a boxer ridgeback. Oh wow. And then the little one is that she was my father's dog, and he passed away, so now she's our doggy, and she's a little Karen Terrier, you know, like one of those Toto dogs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I've got a, I've got a Boxer Australian Shepherd mix. I, I love. Oh wow, that dog must be really smart and really energetic. He, well, he, you know, he, he's not as energetic as you think. Maybe we lazy them up. I don't know, but he's a uh, he. He is very smart, but he's also goofy. He's he's a little uh-huh. he's a little clumsy, and he's a little goofy. He's only three, 
So uh-huh. he's still a little little bit of a puppy in him, and he's tricolor. So he's just he's the best though. I love he's a, my, the best dog I've ever had, and uh, we we named him Hammond after uh, uh, Richard Hammond from Top Gear. And oh I, wow! And uh, he's just he's just the coolest dog I've ever had. I, I love him to death. He looks like a little miniature Rottweiler, actually. He's uh, he's great. I'll send I'll I'll send you a picture of him later. He's just the coolest oh, cool. little dog yeah. ever. Please, I'm a huge dog person. Oh yeah. He's- although I do like, um, although I, um, I'm allergic to kitties, so I don't, I can't have them. But I appreciate like grumpy looking cats. Yes. Like I like, I'm a big fan <laughs> of like smush face. Yes. Just photos of like grumpy smush face Persian cats that look really angry. I like that. My wife is the same. She's allergic too, and but she loves looking at the the memes and the the pictures. Of, oh, it's, it's it's hilarious. But he's a, uh, he, Hammond's just hilarious. He's a. Uh, he was a rescue, and uh, we, we got him. It was like 17 weeks when we got him. He, he's got the doc tail already. He had his. He, he got neutered way too early. Our vet, when they uh, when we got him, took him and and, and asked if we had had this done. Like, no, he was it was done when we got him, and he's like, yeah, it was in way too early. So that may attribute to a little bit of his goofiness, <laughs> but he's a uh, he's such a cool dog. Well, it's funny, Floyd, the one that's part, I, we think, I mean, he's definitely part boxer, but he looks like he could be part Ridgeback, too. He does not, you know, he has I, you know, his whole long tail, which is almost two feet long, oh I think, or a foot gosh. and a half. Well, I'm really a bad judge of, of, of visual things. It could be a foot and a half. It's definitely over a foot. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell you, if you have a coffee table and a glass, it's, you know, could be trouble because <laughs> I, I sometimes I'm like, I think I know why people did that. Yeah. I mean, I would never do that to an animal, but I'm like, I can, I can understand the logic behind it. Yeah. He, he's yeah. right at that height where it's like, wham, you know, you can knock over a lot of stuff. Yeah. Hammy's the same. We, we'll call him Hammy or Ham. He's the same way. He's about 65 pounds. So he's right at that level where he'll walk around the coffee table and if he had a tail, he'd be knocking everything over. So yeah, but he's a sweetheart. So, all right. So back to the music. Um, I've heard a couple of the new tracks off the off the Sumo Princess album, and I I, I got to tell you, Kalima is insane. I love Thank that you. song. What what did you do to the vocals on that? Because they're just crazy. Vocoder. Ah, that's what I was gonna. I was gonna throw it out, but I didn't want to. I was afraid I would be wrong and sound really dumb. So, well, you were right. You're really smart. Because <laughs> I, I was going to say, it sounds kind of like um, Sun and Sail Club or that Neil Young trans album, but it actually sounds a lot better than those two because there's almost no emotion in, in either of those albums with the vocals. And, you know, I, there, there's not a whole lot of emotion coming through the vocoder on those. You're, on, on Kali Ma, it, it's definitely emotive is there something that you, else that you you did a little differently than than the guys may have done? Uh, I may have some secret studio tricks that I'm ah, not going to reveal. Okay, <laughs> that's fair enough. But it's, yeah. it's and and um, you will rise has been stuck in my head for days. But thank you. That's a very pretty song. It, it is. I love it. I love it. It literally. I'm not even exaggerating when I say it's been stuck in my head since since you sent me the track, but. How did you get the gnarly ass bass sound that you've got in Kill the King and Kali Ma? Because that is some wicked sounding bass.
that is, I think for both of those two, it's called The Fuzz War by Death by Audio. That's the pedal oh, I'm using. Death by Audio is awesome. I, I, yeah. One of these days, it's my Which now I've given that studio secret. It's not fair to hoard the fuzz, but yeah, I think that for, I mean, I know that also there's a point in Kill the King where I use the pog at two, you know? Okay. Like when it goes to that end part where it's got the word harmonies. Yes. Like I'm using the pog also, but for, yeah, Kalima, the bass is pretty much just straight up fuzz war. Yeah, fuzz war through an SVT, you know? I mean, like that's definitely having a, I mean, um, that's one thing, you know, with touring these days on a low budge, like with, with a small band like mine, I have had great experiences using the, you know, now with bass, they make these teeny little like amps that actually sound terrific. Oh, really? But with what Sumo Princess is doing, because I, you know, I want to have some feedback, weird stuff that I can ride around on. Yes. And, and, and I actually need the big gnarly tube amp. So, so definitely part of the sound is that fuzz war, but it's also like a, a, an Ampeg, you know, SVT. Did you see part of it? Did you see that enormous Ampeg amp that was like eight feet tall at NAM this year? I got to play twelve times at noon on one of those days oh, through that, which man. was, I have to say, quite a bit of fun. That is amazing. I saw Tony Franklin playing that, and that was just crazy in fact he put his he put his bass up to it to try to get it to feed back and Me they too. yelled at they well they yelled at him for on the video that he, he put out on facebook they yelled at him and told him not to do it so. <laughs> for my one i just went for like they gave me some five string you know it was like a five or six string bass i was like whatever you know and i just <laughs> went for like the total just like doom just like bruh, bruh, you know just i just went for which is often my MO at um, those kind of music things. There's this like, <laughs> there's a side to like, you know, whenever I, I go to those things, all the bass players are either slapping or playing like Jaco Pistorius. Yeah. And there's a part of me that's always just wants to get a little silly. <laughs> you know, it makes, you know. <laughs> well, you, you mentioned using a death by audio and that's either a death by audio or a ZVEX pedal. I, I play a little guitar. I'm not good. I don't, I'm not in a band or anything. I just play at my house. But that's one of the, that's some one of the things that I'm one of these days I'm I'm, I'm dying to get is one of those. So are you a gear hound? Do you have a, a a lot of bass gear that you collect? I am not a gearhead. I have a pretty good pedal board now that I've put together kind of through trial and error and experimenting with different things because some of the so stuff in Sumo Princess. I want to actually have the sounds kind of dictate the part. Like, you know, in, okay. in, in, for example, like in, um, you will rise that part that I play under the verse, that, yeah. that, that part, yes. that was something where I wanted to, to find, you know, have the sound of it almost inspire what I was going to play rather than just, you know, playing something and trying to dial in a sound. Do you okay. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. So, um, so that I, I ha do have a fairly decent pedal collection now. And then my husband does sort of get things and, you know, maybe for my birthdays or first misses <laughs> or things, there's a new thing. And I, I have 
But I really only have like three main bases that I play that are the same three main bases that I've been playing since like, you know, the early early 90s. Since Vinyl Tap. Well, <laughs> no, since Vanessa Parody, actually, because I got the music band after that gig. And, um, but I do have uh, several amps because certain things are good for certain. Like, I'm not going to bring an SVT and an 8x10 if I'm backing up, like, a singer-songwriter at, like, a small club. <laughs> right. Because yeah. people just get mad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, you know, I am not – I am not – and I'm also not one of those people that, like, you know, knows what kind of, like, pickup – you know, I, I'm super not techie. I mean, I know how to, like – I only learn as much about stuff as I need to know to make it work properly. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But I'm not, I'm not one of those people that like some people love to know how things work and they take apart radios and put them oh. back together as children and then they grow that's up and they like invent yeah. synthesizers. That's or whatever. my son. I'm oh my god. Not that person. That is my yeah. son to yeah, a I'm, I'm more like I just want this shit to work <laughs> as quickly and as easily as possible. I'm the opposite of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Now, when is the uh, the uh, Sumo Princess album going to be released? The Sumo Princess album, which is called um, "When an Electric Storm," oh. um, is that is that is being released on May eighth on Ruined Vibes Records, and okay. and that is also the first day of our tour opening up for the Meat Puppets on the East Coast of the United States. Oh, well, okay. So, do you, are the tour dates completely set for that tour? Yeah. All right. I've got to look that up because I, I need to know if you guys are playing in my area because I've got to come and see that. I don't think we're I don't think that on the run that we're doing, we're making it that far south. I think I saw if, you, if it's on your your website, I saw a couple down as far as like Philly. Yeah, I, I, I that may be the farthest south we're going I'm not sure if we're doing like Maryland yeah. and I know we're not doing DC. I, I may think Philly, might, but that's not that far. You can just hop on the train. I mean, I've got family up there. I may have to make an excuse to come up and see family for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, where can people find you on social media when, where can they purchase the album when it's released or do a pre-order? Well, you know, also I, what they can do now is purchase we made um, last year. We released two seven inches. And they are available uh, on Sumo Princesses. You can go to sumoprincessband.com, which will take you to our Bandcamp page where you can get physical singles. And what we did is we collaborated with nine different artists. To, we did two different singles. One was in a version of five, and the other one was in versions of four. So there's four different versions of, of one of them and five different versions of the other. Oh, wow. So those are like collectible picture just done by artists um that's awesome super awesome yeah so those are already those came out last year and um and then you and then there's also you know you can sumo princesses you can buy our stuff on like itunes or amazon or again i really like Bandcamp because they give the best uh splits to the artist you know okay yeah Uh, and um uh, I, I, sorry, I just completely <laughs> that was really like my my I lost the ability to speak there for a second. That's so, okay. Sumo Princess is on Instagram. Sumo Sumo underscore Princess underscore 
band is on Instagram. Simo Princess is on Facebook. Abby Travis is on Facebook. Abby Travis on Instagram. Abby Travis. And my name is spelled A-B-B-Y. That is because sometimes people put an E or an I or an I-E, but it's just E-B-B-Y. And okay. I'm also on, on the Twitter, but I, I, I try – every time I go on there, I wind up getting some political argument uh, with someone. And so I'm just <laughs> – Yeah, I, to, I don't know. I try so to avoid that. I just, I, I'm on Twitter too. I just try to uh, – What? I just release the shows, the links of the show on Twitter. I try to stay off that mess as much as possible. Yeah, it's it's – uh, the, you know who's the best people on Twitter are the comedians because they're so good at also yeah you you know finding a two sentence phrase that sums everything <laughs> up and that's succinct and straight to the point and and hilarious you oh, know yeah. I'm really long winded so it's maybe not the best medium for me yeah. <laughs> but I do enjoy following the comedians on Twitter um, and then I also have a, a podcast that um, I've just launched in the past like month and a half yeah sounds, yeah yeah called sounds off with abby travis so it's an interview podcast as well but it's a little different in that i, I interview other musicians on location and in the verite style so for example like Exine Cervinka of the band x and i went to a farmer's market in orange california and then we talked about stuff and, and baseball um, I remember, I, I yeah was, i know see who knew great. right exactly i didn't amazing i do I another that story yeah i do another podcast that's sports related uh one of the, one of my buddies is is a producer for the jim jeffries show on comedy central <laughs> uh-huh. and we're always looking for guests so if if exine ever wants to talk about the dodgers we talk a lot of dodgers uh well so. I, I mean i don't know but <laughs> I, I i was i had no idea that she was such a huge baseball fan and I loved that story so much. And there's a side of me that thinks she might have more fun talking about baseball than she would about like her other stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, well. um, yeah. But I can't, I certainly can't answer for her, but um, she definitely, I thought that was the most charming story. I loved it. I loved it too. Yeah. And I, I loved the, uh, the interactions you had with Norwood Fisher from Fishbone. That was great. And the story, the story of, from Steve McDonald of your brother saving everybody's life in Red Cross when the driver fell asleep in the station wagon. That was, I know. I know what my brother is. Well, very humble, sweet guy. He's like the, he's like very quiet. He's totally not words. People are like, you guys are related. What? You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I had no idea that he, that had happened at all. You know, so he was probably didn't never mention it because he was, I think, still maybe even in high school or barely, barely out of high school at that time. So if he had told my parents that they would have flipped out you know what i mean so <laughs> probably yeah. <laughs> then, yeah absolutely so i i love the show it's great uh i wish i could do something in, in that verite style like you do I, I unfortunately i still got a day job so i can't do it i gotta work during the day i can't take people out around dc because i think that would be amazing but do you yeah, have but any you can maybe yeah i mean you could find like the you know ian mckay and go walk around and, <laughs> yeah. and drink juice together. There you go. <laughs> yeah, we can do all that straight edge stuff. Uh, yeah. so do, you, do you have any new shows coming out? Yeah, um, but what, uh, I do. Uh, I, I, I have some exciting guests coming up. Um, awesome. uh, uh, I just interviewed Alan Johannes last week. Oh. I just, gosh. He is I just, love that guy. 
He too, he's such a genius. Oh, and he's you so know? he's so underappreciated. So many people don't know who he is. Have you seen an unfinished plan? The movie about it's like it'll break your heart. No. I just, it's you can stream it on Amazon. Okay, look it up. It's a it's a film about him and about Natasha. Oh gosh, and it's just and it's also like you know. The first person that talks about him is Chris Cornell, and you're like, fuck, that guy's oh, dead, too. Yeah. And it's just, like, so heartbreaking, you know what I mean? But it's oh. a really well-made movie, well-directed, and um, I recommend it highly to everyone who's it should, everyone should watch that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, sh- I sent him a message to see if he wanted to come on, but I haven't heard back yet. That was a while ago. But he doesn't know who I mm-hmm. am. Of course, you, don't, you didn't know who I was either until uh, Scott Reeder introduced And I didn't know Scott until... Uh, Shay uh, Dorval introduced me to him. So I think you met her at NAM with Scott, right? Is that the Irish lady that's the bass player? Uh, no, she's uh, the Canadian singer. Oh, Shay. Yeah, Shay, yeah. I loved her. She's Are awesome. Are you kidding? Like, she was fantastic. I was so disappointed to find out that she lived in Canada. I thought, like, this is going to be my new buddy. <laughs> um, yeah, no, Shay's, fan- Shay's awesome. I didn't hear what you said. I thought you said Shane. Oh, um, no, yeah. yeah, I'm t- totally pro Shay. Yeah. Oh, she <laughs> she was like the the second or third person I interviewed for this show. She's like one of the first. Uh, no, she she was interview. She's episode number four. Because mm-hmm. I, I realized I did like three interviews in a row, like right back to back to back. And uh, I do this. I use the same software for the sports show and I didn't change anything. But I didn't realize I don't see with the sports show, they record their end in L.A. and I record my end here and then they send me the file and I just merge everything in the computer. Uh-huh. With this, I record what, you know, off the phone here. And uh, I didn't realize I had a noise gate on my software that anytime anybody backed away from the mic or spoke softly or anything, it would clip it. And so <laughs> the first three interviews I did were Steve Turner uh, from Mud Honey. um, Jerry Gaskell from King's X and then uh, Jordan Zatarazzi from Blink of the Star and uh, Kelly Scott from Failure together. And I had to. Oh, I know Kelly. Oh, I Ke- think Kelly might have played on some of my solo stuff. Oh, yeah. Kelly's awesome. Uh, yeah, I've had him. I've I, had I him. I could be bunch. wrong, too. I mean, I'm, you know, I have no. I know that Kelly and I played together, though. I've played with him before. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's the He's first, a nice guy. He is. so, And his wife is, is so sweet. Priscilla, she's, she's a great, a great photographer, so. Oh, cool! So you should, yeah, you should check uh, check out Priscilla C. Scott on Instagram. She's she does some great work. So I will, yeah, right on. But thank you so much for coming on and spending some time. I, I've kept you for quite a while. Um, I really do appreciate you, you telling me some, some of these great stories about Spinal Tap and the Spinal Tap story is oh, the best one. It's my favorite. I, I, I have no, I don't think I've ever told it in that detail. <laughs> I mean, it was so insane. I that was awesome. Okay, there you go. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was super fun, and I really appreciate you doing so much research. And I hope I wasn't all like snotty about like, dude, that was ten years later, (laughs) like that. You know, not, not in the least.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.